0: Hey guys, I'm Chris and I'm Mike and welcome back finally to this week's No Limits, the Scott Harvath podcast. How you doing today, Mike? Happy New Year or Dude, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I don't know. Merry is Christmas. About, but. Happy New Year. All those
1: things. How great it is to be back talking Scott Harvath on the Brad Thor pod. But Chris, it's a running joke on this pod. Your ever growing family. There's a new
0: member of the Furman clan, Ricky Joe. Ricky Joe. Oh, we're not even sure. So uh Santa brought us a turtle, a tortoise, Greek tortoise to be, to be exact. A Greek tortoise, um, yes. And I I forgot, like, we were so excited that, like, PetSmart, like, picking it out and everything. I forgot to even ask, like, what the sex of the tortoise was. Like, so we did not even know if it's a boy or a girl, but Patrick was determined to call it Ricky after himself because his nickname is, like, his sister calls him Rick to piss him off. So he went with Ricky, and his middle name is Joseph, so he, he purely named the turtle after himself. But Ricky Joe Furman, we have a, a, tur- a turtle that's probably going to outlive me. They said, like, they had to sit me down. They're like, just so you know, tortoises live 50 to 70 years. This is a big commitment. Are you sure about this? I'm like, yes, I, I understand. Like, this turtle's going to be passed down. I'm sure Patrick's going to give it to his son or what, what, you know, whatever. So, yeah, nope, we, our family is growing. Oh,
1: that's great stuff. Well, congratulations. The kids must have been over the moon. Is this specifically Patrick's? Or are they all sharing it? What's your approach here?
0: Patrick said yesterday, he's like, we're all owners, but he's my turtle. Oh,
1: he's taking responsibility. <laughs> I like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So he he's the one who asked for it. So our family is going to be growing by four more in the spring. When they each want a turtle? Because no, Santa brought us a chicken coop.
1: Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> Mary and Addie have been asking for chickens. A lot of the neighborhood houses have chickens. And Caroline's aunt, who lives right across the street from us, they're gonna get some chickens in the spring. And you get like a deal if you get like 10 chickens. So they're gonna get five six, we're gonna get four. They've already picked up the names. They're gonna be Bandit, Chili, Bingo, and Bluey from Whoa. Bluey. All
1: right.
0: Um, so yeah, we're gonna be a family of we're a family of seven, <laughs> we're gonna be a family of eleven. <laughs> Things are happening in the Furman household. Yeah, luckily, they're they're much cheaper than well, relatively speaking. Yes, it's
1: not like you have enough on your plate to manage and take care of. You know,
0: you, yeah. You no, what's more. what's four chickens and a turtle? I think it's <laughs> it's. I don't know. They wanted a dog, and I just I I don't have time for a dog. So these are good alternatives.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, the turtle you just you throw some Greek mix or some Italian mix. <laughs> in and let him go and you change his thing like every week so it's pretty easy originally patrick wanted a water turtle and those things you have to like clean their tanks once a week and it's a lot mm. of water and i was like let's right. let's avoid that a so, dry one's got to. anyways easier. yeah yeah what else did you get from santa santa brought me this podcasting water bottle it's 80 Ooh. ounces so i don't i don't have to get up to refill i just hydrate the entire time
1: all right that's a smart play that's a good play i don't have a big one like that it's not a bad move there's nothing worse, man, than getting thirsty on the pot or having to go to the bathroom and those awkward yeah. breaks. <laughs> usually, where I'm droning on forever and ever, that's because Chris is off taking care of Luckily for.
0: <laughs> <And> <laughs> Luckily when it's drone. just the two of us, when like you, uh, you know, you can, we can just each riff, but it's really awkward when we have like an interview on, you know. That's tough. Yeah, that's when it's really tough.
1: We can usually figure it out seamlessly jumping back in, but then that's when I'll repeat something. That you had said, and I didn't realize you said it. <laughs> well, Chris, why don't you go for it and tell the people what we're covering today back on the Scott Harvath podcast to kick off 2024.
0: Yeah, look, so like you said, we're doing something different. Um, we're recording midday since we're both off. Get these in, so we're doing late nights. Uh, and we finally got back to Scott Harvath with the blacklist. So we're just need to dig right into this. Uh, probably... It's up there one of it's my good. top Scott Harveth podcasts like uh, our podcast Scott Harveth books um, and you know that's we need to eventually sometime this month we need to go through and rank our our first first half of Brad Thor's books. but I'm definitely gonna say this one this one's up there man.
1: Yeah, this one was a dark horse for me. I I don't exactly remember this chunk of, of Brad Thor and where it would rank. I knew we were coming out of, I don't want to call it the dark ages, but we were kind of waiting for the series to develop. And I knew we were getting something after The Apostle. And then a few books later, you know, uh, Full Black I really liked. And my favorite part of this book was when it kicked off, and we pick up right where we left off. It took a few chapters, but I was a little nervous we weren't going to jump right into that cliffhanger in Full Black where riley and scott are meeting up in paris and scott got a note from reed carlton and reed carlton sent him to this apartment and and to meet riley and we're wondering what's going on and why reed would send that note which we do get answered at the very end which i thought was a good touch that was explained to us but i really liked how i think it was chapter two or three Boom, we're right back with Scott and the bullets flying and him and Riley falling through the doorframe into this apartment. And unfortunately, we do lose her, you know. So I feel like picking up with that cliffhanger at the end of Full Black was a really smart way to lead into this one.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, again, it kind of took me off guard because we had taken so many months off between – full black right. and blacklist. But I, I appreciated like being put back in the action. I know like this is something that Brad does. And like, he doesn't do it every time. But he he'll have a cliffhanger like we we, we had it happen with Tracy, right? Yeah, it reminded me of that. Right. It's, uh you know, spoiler, but it's gonna happen again in Spymaster. Like, you know, it, it's kind of like every, I don't know, three or a couple books he likes to put in these uh cliffhangers to like sort of bridge together these two book arcs and i liked how you know i am sure we're going to get into it but i like how he brought back in these athena team players like yep. knowing that riley was you know a part of that original group and you know spoiler like i guess at the very end we get like a little little romance between him and casey and i had remembered that in my head but i was trying to remember like which book it was in and I'm like oh yeah it was in this one but yeah and i feel like we spend a lot of time with the troll like by himself like yeah sans you know absent from from scott and then we also get some time with reed like yes really really seeing him how he would act and like it's kind of he he reminds me of a younger i guess in between like a hurley and a stansfield like sort of like a combination of the two you know has the chops to be both an operator also the spymaster uh and i love the tommy banks character great character he's probably going to be the the winner of the book for me um but, yeah, so, I don't know, where where do you want to start, like, with, like, how how this whole plot gets gets spun off, or do you want to talk about, like, our bad guys? I don't know. There's so
1: many directions to go, but you're right in that we almost have each of these characters we love operating independently, and they each have their own kind of story arc developing, but it's so clear how they overlap and are going to overlap. And so I really thought for a book that is, I don't want to call it disjointed, but it is in like four separate storylines, maybe even five separate storylines. It's so clear how they're tied together. And, and I, it was almost like Vince Flynn, who was the right. master of tying those together, but he'd wait until the three quarter mark for some big watershed moment where you see how they're connected. I actually liked here how from the very beginning, we're generally understanding how they're connected, Right. Like read Carlton the moment his house goes on fire and he has to flee and he has a a really, really cool plan. And at one point he's at that truck stop and he tapes the cell phone underneath the truck. Uh, He even has the escape route outside of the house because that's on fire. You very clearly know this is somehow related to what the ATS guys are doing and the data, the, the data mining group. And somebody's targeting him. And at the same time, you know, they're going after Scott because he's part of the Carlton group. And so even though they're separate stories and we get to see each character shine on their own, it all ties back to this idea of we have to take down the Carlton group. They're too dangerous because they're too good and they're too patriotic. And so I'm waiting to see how this ATS group and the Carlton group is going to – it's almost like you've built up ATS the same way other groups like the Amalgam have been built up in the past. And it's on a collision course with Mm -hmm. the Carlton group. And I really like those competing strands while each character can still shine on their own. I thought just meta, you know, from an outsider's viewpoint, this is a really well-developed plot that is, I think, perfectly and masterfully executed. An issue, though, that that sacrifices is, do you feel there was a major set action piece? The action was really good all along in bits and chunks, but I don't know, because the book was so good on plot, in my opinion. I don't know if it had that one massive gripping action set piece that I often like
0: these books to have. Would you agree with that or or no? Hmm. Yeah, now, now that you're saying that, I, I, I think it's kind of true. I, I'd have to, the thing that points out in my mind is the attack on, I guess like you have the various attacks on Scott, right? And how he's right. able to get out from each of those you have obviously in paris you yep. have in bass country yep you know with padre Pe- we, we get we have padre payo padre um talk about a winner there. have, there's one when he comes back to mexico yep. yeah and um, then when he goes to mexico and finally meets up with uh the troll in at the mccallan uh or the three peaks ranch right in texas um, yeah you have him take down the shooters so like, it's like little tiny bits and pieces of action, but nowhere near, you know, like uh, just thinking about like the action set pieces in lions or in blowback or, or take well, down. <laughs> blowback or Takedown, whichever the one in New York city is take um, down <laughs> takedown. and you know, it reminds me a lot of, uh, what's the one where it's like a very national treasure with the uh, Jefferson and, um,
1: um, like the whole thomas
0: jefferson thing like that 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 piece the yeah, last part of the yeah, Quran. Yeah, yeah. we did we just covered it a couple months ago but um was the last commandment path of the assassin like but um no, no no oh the last apostle last apostle yes 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 so it reminds me of like that how we had just like a lot of little tiny set pieces as it goes along likes to put in sometimes it was way more just plot you know driven with this this backdrop of this you know total surveillance and this is now coming up again right where like wouldn't this book come out I, I meant to look that up yeah i so the
1: total surveillance i really want to talk about that this must be early mid 2000s but brad is as always ahead of the game like 2012 2012 okay okay still though Still earlier than you'd think, based on and a lot of the book is ten years old. Yeah,
0: right. That's it's so it's like, really I feel like you could write this now.
1: Exactly, question
0: for like what's going on now with oh, like 100%. you know uh, AI and all this stuff. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah,
1: you could literally substitute the ATS stuff for uh, any sort of government spying using AI or Pegasus or any of these really you know cutting edge technology things. Yet Brad is referencing that over ten years ago. And Alice. getting it right. Yeah. And predicting how much worse it's going to get. And that was like the internet was established for sure, but it was nowhere near what it is today with the Internet of Things, smart devices, smart speakers, you know, ChatGPT, ev- GPT. Uh, yeah. Chat GPT. Then you layer that on top of it. But just the amount of devices that had a Wi Fi connection, basically ten years ago, it was only your cell phone,
0: you know, your home right. router, your now your desktop
1: all computer. All of us
0: have alexas exactly all of us have echo dots all yep. of us have google homes whatever that are just they're constantly turned on because they you know you can just say hey alexa or hey google at any point and that is is just capturing all of our conversations oh, and like absolutely. tailoring or instagram right how yeah, your absolutely. phone you, like you can literally be i'll have a conversation with you about i don't know mm-hmm. some golf aid and then all the ads come up. Yeah, I'll go on my Instagram later, and it, 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 that that'll be what's pushed to me. You know? Yeah, it's, and, and it's don't crazy. tell me, don't
1: tell me you're gonna trust any of these settings of oh, you can turn off your microphone list setting, you can turn off your location data setting. No, the second you have the device, if someone wants it, they can get in. You do not have ownership over that by clicking a toggle switch off. You know, like there's so if somebody wants it bad enough, they can get it. And now you enter the U.S. government wanting it. For everybody and building these data mining centers. I thought that whole blue sand idea was kind of crazy. And again, spoilers for the second half. We might just be covering the whole book here in one shot. The NSA in Fort Meade is not even big enough to handle all this data. They have other government locations with even bigger data sifting centers. And Brad's writing about this 10 years ago. Then You were saying the smart devices. How cool was that discussion of the smart street lamps? Oh, yeah. We've heard about cities like London being and Istanbul being so surveilled, and there's cameras everywhere. Well, this idea of street lamps, I thought that was wild, that you can have street lamps that are recording your movements, can identify people. X-raying. X-raying people in their bodies. It's absolutely unbelievable. And no doubt, if Brad had research Because he said in the author's note, everything I discuss is either real or in development or there is a prototype being used out there somewhere. No doubt if he's writing about that 10 years ago, it would be mind-boggling to think of what they're doing today. Right. Yeah. So what's going to be 10 years down the road from now? It's crazy. Do you want to hear this? So I have a long quote here, if you would allow me. But I was reading this one passage. And again, it's a little later in the book, so forgive us but it's when Scott and the troll finally get together and the troll can give him basically the data download on everything that he's pieced together that's going on because the troll got the flash drive. We get like essentially
0: the plot wrap, right? All all in one, yeah.
1: Yes, but also what Brad loves to do is when he goes off on his tangent, but it's a tangent related to the plot. So the troll is giving us everything about total surveillance. And here's, here's, oh my God, I was reading this and I'm like, no shit, this is exactly what's going on to for America to lose its freedoms and, and liberties today. So I quote the troll. The technology not only enables authoritarianism, it encourages it. Governments simply cannot say no when offered more power. As we know it, information, and thereby knowledge, is power. Every email, all your internet activity, the entirety of every single cell phone comb- conversation, every piece of GPS data, all your social media interactions, Every credit card transaction, every single electronic detail in your life, like it or not, is being placed into a safety deposit box that you have no control over. The government can come in at any time, open that box, and conduct retroactive surveillance on you. They will be able to create a perfect profile of your behavior. And they'll be exceptionally well-armed if they deem your behavior to be in opposition to the best interests of the state. Just listen to this, and I'm thinking of the Richmond Memo. Have you heard about this? The FBI's Richmond memo, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Because a Catholic believes in certain social teachings of the church or because they go to a Latin mass where they do the Latin rituals, the FBI could put them on a list and have informants and talk to their priest or pastor or confessor and interview them about right-wing extremism solely based on the fact of which mass you go to. This stuff is insane. So listen to what the troll says, quote, There are those who won't toe the line. That's when the pressure is brought to bear. The targets can be individuals or entire swaths of the citizenry, and they can be guilty of nothing more than holding an idea that the state finds threatening to its existence. The Department of Homeland Security recently issued a report identifying, quote, disgruntled military veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan as potential right-wing terrorists. Supporters of politicians and political causes that called for smaller government with greater accountability to American citizens were also labeled as potential terrorists. Owning guns, ammunition, or more than a week's worth of food now classifies you as a potential terrorist. Even certain political bumper stickers or flying the bright yellow Don't Tread on Me Gadsden flag can now qualify you as a terrorist. No matter what you do, your government sees you as the greatest threat to its existence, greater than Al-Qaeda or any foreign invader, and it will do whatever it needs to protect itself. You're being told it's for your own good, for your own safety. While this framework, this cage is being built around you, very soon construction is going to be complete and the cage door is going to be swing shut. When that happens, there will be no way out.
0: Is that not Brad Thor to the max? (laughs) Yeah, it is. And what's crazy about it, right? Is that by tracking all of your information now, whatever the current regime may not may not classify any of the stuff you're doing as you know suspect but who knows when it changes administrations and then like they make they get to make the whole new set of rules and like retroactively you've now done something that they they seem as as sus or 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 as a threat it's it's crazy it made made me think like how how do people get away with like murder and stuff like that like these days because like it's Any sort of Google search that you do or like, you know, like cell phone and stuff like that. I guess it's just, you know, I don't know. But Well, then the opposite
1: can happen because I've heard stories like, and I forget where this was, a guy got a new bike and was taking the bike around his neighborhood and he kept going on this same loop. And at some point when his bike data showed him on this loop, someone had robbed a house, like an old lady or something. mm. I don't know if they murdered somebody or whatever but there was some sort of crime and the crime was on his bike loop. And after the crime happened, he ended that bike loop and then went somewhere else. And so they used that as evidence to say he was canvassing the area. And then as soon as the crime happened, his location data showed him cycling away because he was testing out the bike and then he was ready to go on an actual route. And they used his Google maps, geolocation data without any sort of warrant or anything. Or it was like, the problem was it was a blanket warrant, right? They were like, because right. the crime so happened here, We have the right to go find anybody's geolocation services and have Google turn that over to us for anybody in like a 50-mile radius. And it's like that kind of blanket stuff is insane. And I think we're progressing to a point where, you know, you and I were in high school and we took constitutional law or whatever, you know, or if you studied it at all, you kind of wondered, well, how far can the limits go? Can a judge grant a warrant that's too vague or too wide? I think we're beyond that bullshit. We're at the point if somebody wants it, they're just going to go get it. And it doesn't even matter the legalities or the constitutionality or the practices. Because once they have it and leak it to the public or, or put it in the hands of the right people, no doubt they can act on it. And it's not, they care less if it's, quote, admissible in court or if it will hold up as evidence. I feel like gone are the days where all that stuff matters. And it's just, if someone wants to go after you, they're going to go
0: after you. Yeah. What's crazy to me was the stuff that he was saying. About we've been in like a, a state of emergency, or like, um, right, yes, yeah, a state of emergency where, like, you know, the, the president ha- can just retroactively every year just put it, and then that Renew gives it. him certain, you know, certain he can bend the laws in certain ways, or like, you know, oh, yeah. it kind of reminds me of like how they were constantly renewing the state of emergency for the pandemic, and like how that, that was allowing the, the government to exactly do different things with, you know, financial laws and stuff like that. And so, there's always a loophole. Any way they want to do it, they can find a loophole. Like exactly. There, there's a million exactly. million lawyers out there that that can do this, um, that are being paid to just you know, find loopholes and stuff like that. So
1: it's almost like very Jack Carr kind of stuff, but Scott's writing this a decade ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's I loved how he brought up like minority report, definitely shades mm-hmm. of minority report all throughout this book, and in the sense of like you being can you if you have the technology to be able to predict that someone's going to do something and you, 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 um, detain them before they do it, but they haven't actually done it yet. Is that lawful? Like, yep. you know, that, that that's kind of stuff is crazy.
1: Yep. You mentioned the pandemic though. One other little quote is a quick one here. Mm-hmm. I read this and in my mind thinking the vaccine, the pandemic, what the next one will look like, all this stuff. I couldn't get away from this idea of the Hegelian dialectic when he dropped this quote, In this case, you create a problem, wait for the reaction, and then offer the solution. What people historically fail to realize, though, is that those offering the solution are the same people who caused the problem in the first place. They also fail to realize that no matter what the solution is, it always ends up providing its creators with more power. Power. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything, but that is quite literally the textbook play of so many politicians today and so many people in this country feel that has been a move that's been used against them one too many times and, and have quite frankly had enough of it.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So I I think like talking about this, this plot and everything kind of, maybe we should transition to talking about ATS, Schroeder, Middleton, uh, the care we, you know, in the prologue, we get thrust into this Caroline Romero character, really intriguing, kind of gripped me right off my seat. Unfortunately, we don't spend much time with her. We get to spend time with her is it her twin, not like a half sister that looks very similar to her, like right. Nina. But yeah, what did you think of of Schro- this Schroeder character and, and Middleton and, and Colonel Bremer? Like yeah, I I, I kind of really like these villains. Same. Yeah.
1: I really like this entire storyline. I and again, the audiobook was amazing because the way Armand Schultz did the stammer of mm. Schroeder compared to the roughness of Middleton and how Bremer was kind of like this coward between the two of them. All three of those villains were done extraordinarily well. And and Schroeder is somewhat sympathetic. He's almost an bit. everyman. You know, bit. he he's been bullied all of his life. He's lacking the self confidence, but he is this genius. And then Middleton is this also genius because we get his backstory from when he worked for IBM. So as much as I love these characters, it's even better that we get their backstories because Middleton was caught up working for IBM. And did you know this about how they worked for the Nazis? I had 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 to look that up. That that was, that was, was it real? I didn't look it up. It's all real. Like Brad said, in the author's note, all this is real. I had no idea. IBM, an American company had a German branch that was quite literally in the business of using computing technology. And at that time, it was basically like punch cards to determine the most efficient way for the German government to exterminate Jews. When my That's mind, disgusting. It was, it's the most horrific thing. And when I got into the research, I was like, didn't know the ins and outs of this. They were literally, IBM was in charge of the train system, and maximizing using digital computing to maximize the biggest way you can transport the highest number of people to the concentration camps and the most effective way to do it. They even had data on like gas chambers and how they could be more effectively utilized. And there was this clear understanding of IBM. The, the main company was don't ask, don't tell like knew it was happening.
0: Mm. We're and getting it was, paid. So don't, don't. Yeah,
1: solve. exactly. It was, it, it's crazy because the military industrial complex we've known about for forever. This book is now getting into the artificial intelligence and data collecting, you know, complex, government complex. I feel like we could take Eisenhower's warning of industry and military and now apply it to data mining, AI, and intelligence gathering, government complex. Mm-hmm. And it's the exact same thing. I was just shocked to hear what was going on with IBM. In World War II. It was disgusting. So anyway, that makes me like these characters even more in the sense of I hate Middleton. So he's a perfect villain. That backstory makes him a better villain. Combine that with how he's treating Schroeder. He's a complete asshole. And then his arc is complete when he shoots Colonel Bremmer at the very end. Again, spoiler. (laughs) That was crazy. (laughs) But all those, you put them together and you have a great profile of Middleton. You have like a complete (laughs) psychological profile of this guy. And he's a complete jerk. And I I think I like the villain so much. This is going to be a five out of five on villains in the end.
0: Yeah. You even get this really interesting backstory with Bremer. you know, in in the sense that it's a pretty long, like, you know, introduction to him and sense that how he is just a weasel and never actually saw action. Well, the only time he did see action, he was a coward, ended up killing people and making a panic and, you know, essentially got lost and they had to send people in and like, go get them. And, but he used it, he manipulated everything. Cause he, he assumed no one knew right. no one could speak English. No one could give their side of the story. Yeah. Like it just, you know, really sets him up to be like this, uh, another person that you're not even w- uh, one ounce sympathetic when Scott has um, either Casey or uh, Rhodes target his daughter and, and, and his wife. I, I, I don't think Scott would have actually pulled the trigger. I think that I was, think that so. was all the bluff.
1: It was all yeah. a show. I agree. We've seen that many, many times. He didn't want to target the family, but he and he didn't have to, right? There's a difference between if you actually took the family and and created some harm for them, versus you use them as leverage against Bremer without actually having to bring them in. And so I thought that was a really smart op when he had the sniper shoot the milk carton. Yeah. yeah, it was really, really smart to show them. <laughs> yeah, and and, and Bremer sh- shit in his pants. This nickname was perfect. He's a chairborn ranger. That was.
0: He <laughs> yeah, had Chairborne Ranger. That was perfect. It's like,
1: did you ever hear Meal Team Six? <laughs> this guy was screaming, Chairborne Ranger. And then combine that with the Romero storyline. What a way to open with that mm-hmm. prologue. Her shopping in Pentagon City, and she's being tailed, and she knows it's basically the end for her, but she has the data. And we don't know that at the time, but I sensed there was some sort of flash drive or device. That she had to send out and genius, genius to do it at the lingerie shop knowing she won't be followed right. in.
0: I just. And genius to use the recording, like the self recording gift card or um, greeting card to be able to send instructions to her sister. That was genius. Dude, I, I love
1: the Carolina Romero stuff. And even better, did you realize this is Nina, the troll's wife, right now in Rising Tiger? Oh, no. Th- Dude, I. I-
0: I meant to go look it up to see, like, is is this the same chick who he ends up staying with? It has to be. Her name's Nina.
1: I don't remember what happens from this point forward, but it absolutely has to be. So Caroline Mm -hmm. saved the troll. We even get a backstory there at this computer conference 20-plus years ago. I really loved how Caroline Romero saved the troll, treated him like an equal while he was getting beat up for his stature. And then – the pentagon city scene in the present day and she knows the troll is the one to get the information to and it's her sister who ends up delivering it and they fall in love i I, unless there's another nina between now and rising tiger nina was the one pregnant in rising tiger so
0: he would love have it has to be the same chick i love this i forgot that this was the origin of her yeah me too completely forgot I really enjoyed like getting to know Reed more. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but like it, him, and then again, backstory meeting up with this Tommy Banks character, his mentor. And, you know, I love the decision tree stuff, like that, how he, he kind of had to figure out who's the one person I can go to. And ultimately, you know, Middleton was able to figure it out, um, or like he put, put two and two together. But yeah, meeting this Tommy Banks character, going to that, um, on the CNO Canal, yes, that, the lockhouse, like w- the lockhouse that was used, you know, for all these defectors, like that, all that kind of. This story is just so so rich. I, I think like sometimes there can be too much, yeah. But I, I, everything here was necessary. Like all yes. these little backstories was necessary to, for, for the proper character development. You know, every every piece served something. You know, yeah. we needed it. it. It it all aligned in the end. So great great work by Brad
1: i 100 agree with you we've got so many backstories i mean now you got to throw in tommy banks and for a split second i was like wait reed carlton's the old man he's supposed to be that stan hurley figure but then i thought even stan hurley needs a thomas stansfield i was like there has to be yeah, someone definitely. just as old-timey but more on the spying side you know where stan mm-hmm. hurley was the operator thomas stansfield was the spy and I really felt that come through for Tommy Banks and how Reed learned what he learned from him. I thought that was such a brilliant move because Reed needed help. We couldn't have him link up with Scott too early.
0: It was a great no. payoff to save that he towards didn't, the it didn't very link end. up to like almost the very end. Yeah. I would say like
1: past the three quarter mark because of that though, we need, and if we know Reed's network is burned, we need somebody who he has a back channel established with. And, and Tommy Banks was the perfect person to do that. So I agree with you completely on that. He even made his way into my Limerick. Ah, very nice. There was an old spy named Banks helping read Carlton. Gee, thanks. Data is leaked. So ATS freaks as Scott hits them right in their flanks.
0: Ooh, that's a good one, Mike. That's one of my best, is it not? Yeah, that that is definitely one of your best, for sure. We got Al Banks right in there. there.
1: We got Reed Carlton in there. We got ATS in there. We got Scott flanking them. It, basically the end scene yeah,
0: really exactly. comes at him. The only thing you're missing is one of my other character, favorite characters of this book. But Mike Schreber oh, of Schreber Flashlights. It, it saves the day, man. What yes. What an awesome character. And you were just saying
1: this book could have been a little too jam-packed. It was like, Borderline? Are there one too many people? Is it hard to keep up with? No way. No way. Like it's written so well and plot is developed so well. Everyone comes in and their backstory is explained at just the right time. Now, as much as I love Mike Streber, was he a little bit of that OP that, that just he's gonna come in, and give you everything you need? He's got the pilot, he's got the ranch, he can call in his security guys, former Delta, I think, you know to protect uh, everybody. Was he just a little bit too much of a device to get out of jail free card? Maybe. Yeah. But at the same time, I loved him and I love the role because it's like, what's Mitch's pilots called that? Um,
0: Fred, like uh, Fred name is, Mason. First name is Fred, right?
1: Fred Mason can come in at any Fred time Mason. and yeah, save yeah. the day. And I love that shit. And we get that here with Mike Strieber. So I don't want to say too many cooks in the kitchen. I'm not going to ding it on that. Cause I love the character but it got a little busy at this point of the book. Be, be, once you have the ranch and Maggie, then you bring in Mike, a whole nother farm with a whole nother kind of hideout secret area. They can get refuge in. Is it one too many?
0: I think it makes sense because again, Scott's burned. He tried to contact all the, all the known operators from the Carlton group, the Carlton group. And they're either offline or he's presuming they're all dead. We get like a, a quick thing that like, Mike and Scott knew each other. He had, you know, you need like that character. He like says, again, like just like Reed needs a, a Tommy Banks, someone we've never met before, but they have a close connection. Scott needs that person. And it wouldn't make sense to like bring back anyone else besides like Padre Peo who he yeah. links up in the, in the, in the, in the, in the beginning. And what a tough beat on, on Scott to go to this, uh, hideout in Basque country and then use the technology to link up with, Nicholas or, or with, um, I guess he goes on Skype and that's what like triggers everything. Like, wouldn't he think like any sort of communications are going to be tracked? Like, so me doing this here is going to then cause death. Like he he kills all those people. (laughs) He gets all those people killed. Yeah. It it
1: might've been early enough in the plot where he's not so fully aware of ATS's stranglehold on data and communications. So I think I, I can get, I can buy it in that regard. Like at one point, he thinks he's communicating with Carlton on on Skype still. He doesn't know. He knows the network is burned because none of his protocols and his guys are getting back to him. But I don't know if he knows the complete noose that ATS has on every digital communication. And he thinks he's communicating with Carlton. So I think it was early enough in the plot where I bought that. But by the time the same thing happens later at the McAllen Ranch, you know, it's like, Again, and that was a little weird. Those illegal migrants that were hiding out, and he saw the the buzzard in the sky, and he's like, "Oh, there must be dead bodies over there." And it's these illegals, and
0: and that well, I, no, he, I, like it got a little weird. He he thinks there must be something big dead over there, and then when he when he gets when he realizes that oh, there's some hitters here, we need to go check that. I, I didn't think that he needed to go like the, the whole like scene that he needed to actually go could visually confirm that they were there. Like, no, you just, you make the assumption and then you hunker down. Like yeah. someone's going to come attack you. Like, come on, dude. But it's that a story. It's strange. a plot. Yeah.
1: That no, was a there, there's, a there's,
0: plot there's some things that you can, you can pull on, but for the most part, I'd They're say They're so that, minor.
1: Yeah. There's so, all those little things are so minor because you turn the page, or three pages later, you get back to something that draws you right back in. Mm, yeah.